Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm Robin Birkin from Modern Day Misses. Uh, this is a podcast for any women out there who are having a bumpy road to baby making. It's a place for me to provide you with um, tips, inspiration and support based on my own experience with infertility uh, and a successful result. I now have a little a 19-month-old uh, girl called Chloe, but that didn't come very easily to me. Uh, I had several ovulation inductions, IUIs, um, IVF cycles, uh, and then I fell pregnant with Chloe through an ICSI cycle, but that was only after having a both a miscarriage uh, and ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So it wasn't necessarily all roses, but I learned a lot in the process and I came out, I think, better and stronger for it. Um, today I wanted to talk to you all about fertility and cancer. And cancer hasn't been part of my journey so far, um, but it was raised in our Fertility Warriors Facebook group. So we have a closed Facebook group, uh, which is filled with a whole heap of awesome women. They're super cool and it's called Fertility Warriors Support and Chat Group. So if you're after a little bit of support, some positive thinking, some feel-good stuff um, to lift you up and just the support of having a tribe who understand what you're going through, who understand where you're at and who are there to just lift you up and help you keep going on this journey because we all know it's a very tough journey, then definitely join our Facebook group. So it's called Fertility Warriors Support and Chat Group. Uh, you can also find the link to that on my website, which is Modern Day Misses. So that's modern, as in like modern, day, misses, M-I-S-S-U-S dot com. And if you check out my website and even subscribe, then you can also see that I've got heaps of awesome articles on there. I've got recipes. Um, I've got all sorts of stuff on there. So definitely check that out as well. But if you ask me when I started my fertility journey, and certainly absolutely before that, it never really would have crossed my mind that that cancer would have an impact on someone's fertility. I don't think many people necessarily put two and two together that that can happen. Um, and certainly we associate the majority of cancer with people who are older, but more and more there are people of baby-making age and of childhood age whose fertility is impacted by cancer. So not everybody's fertility is impacted by cancer, but there are some um, cancers and some treatments, so some um, radiology and chemotherapy treatments that can um, have an impact on someone's fertility and also some of the surgeries can, um, you know, like render someone infertile depending on where they are and it could be, um, you know, someone's uterus or something has to be taken out or it could be um, that there's so much scar tissue from surgeries that they had that it makes somebody unable to uh, handle a pregnancy or it could make a pregnancy uh, very difficult. And I actually know personally, so three friends uh, of mine have gone through, um, uh, I guess, fertility-related cancers that have affected their fertility um, and then gone on, uh, you know, to start the process of trying to have a family and things like that. So it's actually a really common or quite a common thing and I guess it's something that I wanted to talk about a little bit more and even though it hasn't been part of my journey, it's something that I wanted to highlight a little bit more uh, because I think that more people in general society should have an awareness of it and a little bit of more care and sensitivity around it. 
So this episode, I guess, is for uh, anyone who has recently been diagnosed and have, has had an egg retrieval and I guess has just thought, what the hell has just happened to me? And that is, I guess, the request that I had is that someone in the group, it's actually uh, their relative, uh, put the call out um, to say, my daughter's just been through this and it's just so much to process just with the cancer diagnosis as well that she's then been whisked off, given all these medications. She's got no clue really what's happened because it's all just happened so fast like a whirlwind. There's so much to process. Um, can you just give me a little bit of an insight into exactly what's just gone on here? Um, so this episode is for anyone who's in that boat. Um, it's also for friends and family. So if um, your fertility has been impacted by cancer and you just cannot be bothered explaining it and I think that is fairly common for many people uh, whose journey to making a baby has uh, not been very smooth. Sometimes you just cannot be bothered explaining to one more person what's happened uh, or anything like that. Then that's for them and also for the general public um, because I think that you know, it's a little bit more awareness and some more sensitivity around this uh, is definitely, would be definitely be a good thing. Um, so the first thing that I'll start um, by saying is that, uh, so my knowledge has come, I guess, from researching this uh, a little bit online, but also, you know, in chatting to my friends uh, who have been through this uh, and also just getting, you know, a sense from them of what the experience has been like uh, and things like that. And I have in my, I guess, role as the big fertility warrior, uh, lots of people come to me, lots of people talk to me. I love that. I like That's what I'm here for. Um, so that's where I've got my experiences from. But if you have any additional uh, bits of wisdom because, you know, that has been your journey, then please reach out, um, head to the show notes and leave a comment. So you can find that on the website at moderndaymisses.com. If you have any questions, then definitely reach out there. And if um, there's something else that you wanted to highlight or point out, then please make sure that you comment uh, and um, note that there as well. Um, so if we start off right at the beginning um, when someone is diagnosed with cancer or even possibly before that, the reproductive system is non-essential to life. So when somebody is diagnosed with cancer or a life-threatening illness, um, then the first one of the first things to start shutting down is the reproductive system and that's because it's non-essential for life so your body is trying to preserve itself um, so sometimes when people go for egg retrievals and things like that there might not be as many eggs as they would have had before but hey if your oncologist and your medical team have sent you to get some eggs retrieved or they've sent you to um, get some vials of sperm, then that is definitely a step in the right direction because not all of them do. Uh, and I wish that they all did where they could. It's obviously easier for a guy because they just have to rock up one day, provide their sample, and then they're done. Um, but for a woman, there's a little bit of um, work required in advance to get that happening. So um, going back to the egg retrieval. So if you do, if your oncologist does refer you uh, to a fertility clinic to get your eggs retrieved, I, you might not feel like it at the time. You might be like, what, I've just had this diagnosis, this is the last thing that I feel like right now. But everybody who I've spoken to 
who has had eggs retrieved or sperm retrieved have been really grateful later that despite how they were feeling and everything like that, that they did get that done. Um, so I'll go through now the process of what happens. Um, and it's basically, you know, like IVF 101 uh, of what happens. But just to explain to you a little bit about the process and exactly why you're taking the medications you're taking and what happens during the surgery. So you start off and in a normal um, menstrual cycle, uh, you start off with your cycle with all of your hormones at like a real baseline level. Uh, so they're all really low. And then as your cycle starts progressing, your estrogen will start to increase. Uh, and then shortly before you ovulate, uh, there's two hormones. One is called FSH and the other is called LH, so luteinizing hormone and I'm guessing follicle-stimulating hormone. They have kind of a real, a, quite a sharp uh, increase. And then just before you ovulate, they sort of start to decrease um, to start uh, like I guess the second phase of your cycle. So the first half of your cycle is called the follicular phase and the second half is called the luteal phase. Um, so just before you ovulate, um, you have a surge of LH and FSH and then they start to drop off. So what they'll do is they'll get you to start going in for blood tests and what they're testing is different hormones at different points of the cycle. Uh, so they start off and they'll just test your estrogen and then they'll start to test your other hormones as well to check where that surge of LH and FSH is and when that's close then what they'll do and so they'll, the medications that they're giving you are to stimulate your body to like super ovulate um, so a woman is born with all of the eggs she'll ever need in her lifetime um, so they're already there, they're already in your body. But what happens is every month um, your ovaries have several follicles in them. So a follicle is kind of like an egg but like an immature egg and then it's inside uh, like a little sack of liquid. Uh, and they're really tiny and really small. Uh, and then usually what happens in a normal cycle is one of them matures uh, and then at the time of ovulation is released uh, into the uterus, an egg lasts for 24 hours, so hopefully in that time it meets a sperm, the sperm gets in there, implants into the uterine wall, and that's baby making. But in this type of cycle, what they're trying to do is make as many follicles as they can mature into larger follicles that then become mature eggs that can then be retrieved and used as proper eggs in a cycle. So. Um, you might have the figures really vary, and they it does. It's not just for anyone who's affected by cancer, but across the board, some people will only have you know like two mature eggs or even one mature egg, uh, and other people might have like forty or fifty. I've seen ridiculous statistics out there, um, and let me tell you that a large number can be very uncomfortable at the end of the month because these um, follicles, I think, can get up to like. Um, like 20 millimeters. So close to when they think that you're uh, about to ovulate, so like a couple of days before, maybe day 9, 10, 11 or so, they usually send you off for an ultrasound to check how many follicles there are. Um, so that's an internal ultrasound and what they'll generally do is check how many follicles there are and then they'll count how many there are and they'll specifically count how many are over 
I think about eight millimetres because they're the ones that are likely to uh, become bigger and then become uh, those mature uh, follicles or eggs that they can retrieve. Um, so at this point, it's probably worth saying that the figures always change. So what you see on the ultrasound is not going to be the same as what they retrieve, is not going to be the same as the next day when they tell you how many were viable. Um, it always changes um, and it obviously always, um, well not always, it most likely goes down. Um, so you'll have the internal ultrasound and that gives them a pretty good idea of where you're at with your cycle combined with where you're at with going with your hormones. But then what they'll usually do uh, is tell you to have like a trigger injection. So it's not always an injection and I won't talk about specific medications because actually there's a whole different load of medications that they do and there's even like a whole different lot of different cycles they have. So I've, and I've been on different ones, some where it's just started off with tablets, some where I've started off with injections, then had a break, then had more injections. Um, I think that's called like a sandwich. They've got weird names. The sandwich, antagonist, all sorts. Um, but essentially the outcome is the same. Um, but they're trying to, you know, make you produce lots of follicles, uh, as many as they can, so they can get out as many as they can. Um, but obviously, they don't wish for anyone to um, get ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is basically when they overstimulate um, your system and a lot of uh, your body accumulates a lot of liquid. If you go onto my blog, uh, you can see my article about my experience with it. Um, so generally what will happen uh, at that point, so I suppose for anyone um, who has uh, is in this boat, the second half of the cycle is um, kind of irrelevant. Like that doesn't matter because every, whatever it comes out will generally be frozen. So you'll go in for – so they'll tell you to have a trigger injection and that will trigger ovulation. So that will trigger your ovaries to say, okay, everybody, let's do the final – uh, maturation, let's get prepared. But and what they'll do is that it's usually 36 hours, and I don't even know why, but that sort of triggers um, your body to start ovulating. But they try, I think, to catch the eggs before they actually uh, come out of the ovaries. Uh, and so what will happen is you'll go into hospital for the surgery. It's like a day surgery. Uh, and in Australia, I know that you're put under for it. Although I know, I swear I've heard some people in the US who have been awake uh, for it, but being under like a local anaesthetic. Um, so you'll go and you'll be put under and what they'll do, they've got, you know, like all sorts of things that they use to check uh, what's going on there, but they'll um, go in through the vagina and punch through into the ovaries and, and like sort of suck out each of the follicles one by one. And that's another reason why having lots of follicles isn't um, can, can be a quite an uncomfortable thing because sometimes the recovery can be quite painful when you have lots of follicles and eggs. Um, but whatever you get is a bonus. It's a total bonus. Um, and it's great when medical teams have the foresight to try and retrieve um, some eggs or some sperm uh, and things like that. So basically, they'll do the surgery. They'll take out the follicles that they believe are mature. Now then they take those to the labs where the lab technicians uh, will be put to work uh, and then generally the next day they'll say to you, so they'll give you an updated figure. So they'll give you the figure of how many they retrieve, which can be, the figure of how many they retrieve can be a bit higher or a bit lower uh, than what you found on the ultrasound. Um, but the figure 
uh, that the lab technicians get is obviously always lower um, and that's because some just don't survive, some weren't mature, some were just empty follicles, like there was no egg inside them. Uh, so it all really varies. Um, so that's for a woman, I guess, where the process ends. If you have a partner, they'll try and fertilize those and uh, make them into embryos. Uh, and if you don't, then they'll just freeze those eggs. Um, and I guess that's to a degree the process. Um, so my advice from here, I guess, is pretty generic uh, for anyone who's going through infertility. Um, if you don't have many, and it can really vary. Some people fall pregnant on their first IVF cycle, uh, and some people it just takes a long time. I know that me personally, my eggs just don't like, don't seem to like to be frozen, so um, they don't really survive the thawing process very well. Um, I had my eggs frozen in 2014, and they used a different process then to the one that they use now. So now they use a process called vitrification, which is a lot faster. It's like flash freezing, like what they do with baby vegetables in the ads. Um, so that's what they do now and that generally has a, a higher success rate. So the success rate uh, for thawing eggs is usually around the 75% mark. For me, uh, it was a lot lower. Um, and it's, it, it's not our first choice to have cancer. It's not our first choice to have infertility. And likewise, uh, it's not our first choice to then uh, if it doesn't pan out, start looking at donor eggs and adoption. There are very, very, very rarely some people whose fertility returns, uh, but I guess for the most part, for most people, uh, if their oncologist has told them at the start of the process uh, that it will be impacted, I think for most people generally um, that, that will not occur. Um, and I know someone to whom that occurred and honestly, everybody, like the fertility clinic, no one really um, believed her because it was just such a rare occurrence that someone, um, it was her husband actually, that someone in that situation um, can regain their fertility. Um, but donor eggs adoption and if, um, you know, sort of scar tissue uh, or something like that uh, has impacted your fertility, then surrogacy as well. I guess is an option. It's never our first choice, uh, but it's something that we all need to, I guess, evaluate uh, and determine for ourselves, you know, how much is this worth to us, uh, the journey of becoming a mother or a father. Um, I, my understanding is that it's a lot easier in the United States than it is in Australia for those three things, uh, but it certainly is possible and there's certainly a lot of people um, and particularly a lot in our fertility warriors group who are going down the donor eggs uh, route. And I guess in Australia, the easiest uh, donor eggs is from like a sister or a brother. Uh, or uh, Sorry, <laughs> obviously brothers don't give donor eggs. Um, the easiest uh, thing for donor uh, eggs is someone's sister or something like that. I think it's really important as well to find community um, and it, it's really hard to find um, people in the general infertility community as well as people uh, with fertility and cancer who have gone through the exact same thing as you. Uh, and I know that for me, my um, experience with miscarriage, I had known people who have had a miscarriage uh, and I had known people 
whose IVF hadn't taken and I knew even knew one person who had a miscarriage after going through IVF. I certainly know a lot more people now because we have the our Facebook group but I felt like I didn't know anyone who had had a miscarriage that I that was a medical miscarriage so misca- they, they were told that the pregnancy was unviable and that they had to then I guess sort of end it themselves which was what happened to me uh, and certainly no one in that situation who had been trying for that many years um, so I can imagine you know many people with cancer you feel really young you're like you, you can't understand why this is happening to you um, and you just want to find someone in exactly the same situation as you uh, but that's not always possible but the one thing I will say is that those feelings um, I guess of loneliness of wondering why you have you know, things like that, of wanting to connect with people and wanting to belong is really common uh, and particularly among our infertility group. So if that has um, been part of your journey, I really encourage you to join our Facebook group. So it's Fertility Warriors Support and Chat Group. You can just search for it and you should find it. Look out for the pinky coral colour. Uh, but hopefully that gives you a bit of an uh, indication or a bit more clarity onto uh, cancer and fertility and how that may impact um, people's journey. Hopefully that's been helpful as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, so definitely make sure you head to moderndaymisses.com and leave some comments, some wisdom, some words of uh, inspiration and support for people who are, whose journey um, to becoming a parent uh, has potentially had a little bit of a roadblock in the way of cancer. Thank you very much for listening. So my name is Robin and I'm from Modern Day Misses. Catch you next time.